0: You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. Welcome to the BMJ podcast. This week we'll be finding out why it's important to be aware of sudden death in patients with epilepsy.
1: We do not fully understand uh, what really uh, is behind sudden death in uh, people with epilepsy.
0: But before that... We've heard about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease before in the podcast Bed Blues, where Mabel Chew asked Quentin Anstey how big a problem it actually is. Now, research published this week on bmj.com has gone some way to answering the question how much it increases mortality. To discuss the research, I'm joined on the line by Marianna Lazo, a post fellow in the Department of Epidemiology at John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, um, Mariana, you've done this in the US, so perhaps, for a start, you could set out for us you know, how big a problem this is in the US population.
2: Sure, um, thank you. We know, after we conducted the study, and based on other studies as well, that non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is a very common condition in the US and in other Western countries in that particular study conducted from 9088 through 94 uh, the prevalence was 20% we used a representative sample of the us population so it's a reasonable estimate of the of the prevalence of that condition at that time other other studies have shown a similar estimates with up to of the population presenting this this condition.
0: So is this a big cause for concern amongst, you know, the government or or public health bodies in the U.S.?
2: It is a concern in terms of the high prevalence of the condition, however, how bad it is. It's controversial, and that's part of the reason we conducted our study.
0: Um, So to talk about the study itself now... um, you said you've used a representative uh, sample of the population. Where did you get the data from?
2: So we used data from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey conducted in the U.S. from '98 through '94. Uh, sure. It was a population-based survey designed to collect information on health and nutrition of the U.S. household population.
0: Now, then you looked at these people and tried to discern whether or not they had non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and, you know, classified them accordingly. So how did you go about that?
2: At that time, they collected right upper quadrant ultrasounds. The objective at that time was to look at the gallbladder uh, and study the diseases of, of the gallbladder. We went back a couple of years ago and review the ultrasound tapes obtained 20 years ago and assessed if there was hepatic steatosis, if there was presence of fat in the liver. Mm -hmm. And we're quite confident that we did a good job in terms of ultrasound. We know from this study and from other studies that with ultrasound we can capture fat in the liver. However, for the other manifestations of NAFLD such as steatohepatitis or fibrosis, Mm -hmm. we cannot really say that much. We use presence of hepatic fat and elevated liver enzymes as a surrogate, but we know that that is not the best way to capture non-alcoholic hepatitis.
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, the gold standard would be to go and have a biopsy, perhaps, but you're right. using data that's already collected, so, of course, you're unable right. to go and do that.
2: You know, it's, it's worth to think that and to mention that biopsy is simply not feasible In population-based studies, we cannot go and biopsy 11,000 individuals. (laughs) Of course.
0: So this is as good as this data can be at the moment.
2: Right. Some people may be a little bit skeptical of how good this measure is for liver fat. With our data, we show very strong associations of this non-alcoholic fatty liver disease with diabetes, obesity, factors that we know that are strongly associated with fatty liver disease so that's that tells us a little bit that the measurement that we use in terms of fatty liver it's good that that was quite reassuring.
0: So once you'd uh, taken people and classified them into these groups, you looked at um, effects on different causes of mortality um, and on all-cause mortality as well. Right. What did you find?
2: We we had enough power to look at, of course, all-cause mortality, cardiovascular disease mortality and cancer-related mortality. For those three, we had enough number of events. We looked at uh, liver-related mortality, too, but uh, we didn't really have uh, enough power to draw firm conclusions. What we found was that non-alcoholic fatty liver disease was not associated with an increased risk of death, was not associated with increased risk of cardiovascular-related death, and with with cancer it was the same. There was no association For liver, there is a hint that there may be an association, but we simply cannot draw firm conclusions.
0: Of course. I mean, was that a surprising result, or does that fit with what previous literature has said?
2: Right. It it, it was contrary to, to what we expected and what we hypothesized. We know that there may be liver consequences of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and other studies have shown that there seems to be a progression to cirrhosis and end-stage liver disease. Some studies suggesting that there is risk of a hepatocellular carcinoma for people with, with fatty liver disease, mm. and also that it uh, may adversely affect the prognosis in other diseases such as hepatitis C. However, so it it cirrhosis and and the progression of liver disease in general takes uh, decades to to develop. If we had had a longer follow-up, and we could have observed some liver consequences. And the other thing is, uh, some people may say, "Well, what if this mortality data in, in the NHANES? is is there something weird about it or something?" But we also looked at other factors such as diabetes, obesity, hypertension, high blood pressure, and definitely saw that there was a clear and very strong association of these factors with mortality so we are very confident also about the the outcomes
0: I and mean, does this have any implications do you think for for public health um, or for you know the future of this if your data Itsn't perfect, but you know as good as we can get
2: A lot of people, and including us, we used to think that fatty liver should be considered a cardiovascular risk factor, and definitely you know our data is making us think that we need to better understand the meaning of fat in the liver from cardiovascular perspective. Definitely, there's a need for studies to address the liver consequences of, of this disease. But I think it was quite clear that there's no, no impact on cardiovascular disease mortality.
0: And that research and an accompanying editorial are now available on bmj.com. Now to sudden death and epilepsy. Harriet Vickers finds out more.
3: An editorial online this week looks at sudden death and epilepsy patients... That is, an untraumatic death with no evidence of a structural or toxological cause. Author Leigh Sander, who's a consultant neurologist at University College London, is on the line to tell me more about the issue. So hello Leigh, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Uh, Thank you very much for having me.
3: The title of your piece is Sudden Death in Epilepsy, Not Too Rare to be Ignored. So what prevalence are we talking about here?
1: Well, it's relatively rare amongst people with well-controlled epilepsy, but um, there is a clear gradient of severity. The the, the more severe the population, the common it, this is. If you're attending with chronic epilepsy, curve, frequent seizures, it could be as many as one people in 200 a year. If you have epilepsy and you're in the community with well-controlled epilepsy, the risk is less than one per 1,000 person years. However, uh, if you're uh, attending, for instance, a specialist clinic, a tertiary referral center, it could be as high as five people per 1,000 patient years. And if you are someone that has epilepsy that is severe enough to require work up for epilepsy surgery and you're not a candidate for that, then it could be as high as nine per 1,000 t- per patient years.
3: And other than the severity, are there any other risk factors? Is there a particular patient profile that um, that doctors should be looking out for?
1: Well, young people that have uncontrolled convulsive seizures are at highest risk. And indeed, uh, the more convulsive seizures uh, they have, the higher the risk. The majority of people with uh, epilepsy it's uh, relatively easy to control the seizures indeed uh, we like to quote that 70% of people with epilepsy have their seizures fully controlled however 20 to 30% will continue to have seizures and some of them because they have not been exposed to proper treatment they have not had all the options so anyone that is having uh, convulsions uh, should be referred for specialist opinion for a specialist review to see if there could be improvement to seizure control.
3: Mm. And do, do you think this is being done? Do you think clinicians are aware of this problem as they should be? Uh,
1: I think that the epileptic community is well aware of uh, this problem, but sometimes you have the feeling that uh, not everyone is aware, and indeed, uh, sometimes. Clinicians, particularly family doctors, general practitioners, they they seem to be surprised that this could be an occurrence. People assume that having seizures is just a benign condition. Someone will have a seizure here and there, and uh, there's no, no other risk. But sudden death is just one of the risks. People also have a very high uh, morbidity in terms of injuries and things. So it's very important that uh, people are made aware that if someone is having seizures, Something should be done, and people should only settle if our bridges have been crossed.
3: Okay, and moving on to the pathophysiology of this, how much do we do we understand about that, and and the factors that are involved?
1: Well, we do not fully understand uh, what really uh, is behind sudden death in uh, people with epilepsy. There are a, a few. Likely mechanisms, for instance, it could be due to cardiac uh, arrhythmias caused by autonomic instability at the time of a seizure. We know it's a phenomenon that seems to follow a convulsive seizure in the great majority of the cases. There are also views and uh, some uh, circumstantial evidence to suggest that this could be uh, caused by uh, respiratory depression, central apnea, uh, triggered by a seizure. Uh, there could be massive endocrinological changes uh, that happen at the time of a seizure, and there is the latest is this concept of brain shutdown, where the brain just stops working after a seizure, and you know this will then lead to uh, apnea. But I think it's very important to stress that at the moment. We don't really know what is exactly the cause and we don't even know if it's the same mechanism for every person. I personally feel that it's likely to be more than one predisposing factors and some of them they have to get together to actually cause this.
3: I mean, that's a lot of possibilities. Do you think this is something that's that's on the research agenda or Oh,
1: it's very high in the research agenda at the moment. Uh, for instance, the NIH in the U.S. had a call on sudden death and epilepsy. Uh, there is a number of initiatives in the U.K., and we have a very active charity here trying to raise awareness and encourage research into this uh, epilepsy bereaved. and there are a lot of people in the epilepsy community that know that it's very important for us to understand this better so we could come up with better uh, prevention uh, for this very tragic uh, condition.
3: Great. So I guess that the big question is that prevention. Um, what What do you think are the, the big possibilities in terms of this?
1: We need to accept the fact that at the moment the precise pathophysiological mechanisms are not known. So uh, whatever we talk about, prevention uh, seems to be speculative. But consistently, our studies into this of risks of this have shown that the presence of uncontrolled seizures seems to be a risk. It is a worrying issue, but I think we need to put this in the right context. And the scheme of things is a rare event. But uh, if, uh, if there are frequent seizures, then you know it's important that people are aware that we should do something to improve seizure control. There are also some uh, interesting speculation about the fact that most people that die suddenly, they are alone at the time of uh, this. And there's been some studies that have suggested that night supervision seems to make a difference. If we could make sure that someone at high risk particularly is attended at times that they have a seizure, then maybe we could do something. But this needs proper testing.
3: Great. Well, thanks very much for coming on and telling us more about this issue.
1: Okay, many thanks for listening.
0: And again, that editorial is available on bmj.com. That's all for this week. Next week, we'll be reporting from UK SEM, the giant sports and exercise medicine conference taking place in London. Join us then. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.